You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Baruch, this is Raul Bag versus Rabbeinu Yoyno. Last week, um, we projected that there was a machlokas Raubag and Rabbeinu Yona um, because the Rabbeinu Yona Chevra, um, the Rashba, and Rabbeinu Bachya, his Talmud, uh, were speaking about the future. They were speaking about a future world, a, f- a world where the Yitzhahara is eliminated. And the Raubag projects that. The Raubag says even in the Mashiach's time, there isn't a, 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 a period where we lose what our Yitzhahara. Obviously, there are miracles, and we can do mitzvahs without the same type of nisyonas we have today. But really, Rabbeinu Bachia took us even further than just saying there's no Yitzhahara. He suggested that without the Yitzhahara, certain mitzvahs wouldn't really uh, be relevant. And that is something which the Ralbag rejects so strongly. Says there can't be any change. The mitzvahs can't can never be a period where mitzvahs go through any sort of change whatsoever. Ralbag was very adamant about that. Obviously influenced by the Rambam, but I think by his own feeling, his own sense of what the Torah is as well. From the psukim that said it's about diktuk of doing these exact mitzvahs even in that future time. That's what we talked about last time. I I did not at at the time feel that we had the opportunity to explore a piece of Gemara that seems to deal with that issue. Um, and it's a Gemara in Nida. And my learning of this Gemara today, as I said, of dedicating it uh, to the yurt site this week of my father, Allah Shalom, who died in 2000 in Tovshin Samach. That was 22 years ago in the Chavtas Oder. So it should be Ili Nishmosa, Rav Meir, Ben Sion, Ben Rav Yisrael Yishaya. So let's look at the Gemara in Nida. Tanarabanan Beged Sha'ovid by Kalayim. What's it doing in Nida? Because the Mishnah there is talking about stains on material and being able to determine what type of blood stains they are. And the Gemara started dealing with things seemingly tangential, but very, very interesting. Beged Sha'ovid by Kalayim. You have a Beged that you're not sure where the wool and linen uh, strip is. There's a wool and linen strip of material somewhere in this baggage, but you don't know where it is. Here it says, oh, but in the original, it was a goy. You can't sell it to a goy. Why can't you sell it to a goy? The goy has no problem of wearing climb. For you, it's a problem putting this and wearing it around your neck or warming yourself in it because Basically, there's Klayim there. You know there's Klayim, you just don't know where it is. So it's almost like Vada'i Klayim. You can't determine where it is. But you know that within this Beged, right, and it could be part of it is and part of it isn't. It could be the part that's Klayim is towards the bottom, but that's not the part that's wrapped around you. But you can't sell it to a guy. Rashi says the reason is, is because the non-Jew will then sell it back to a Jew 
and this is sort of like um, this is sort of like contaminated material. You can't tell it's Klein, but it is. So some Jew will buy it and wrap it around himself. So you can't sell it to a Jew, a goy. You can't make it into a saddle for your donkey. Now, why shouldn't you be able to make it a saddle for your donkey? Um, is, is, you know, the donkey doesn't have a, a, a love of, of, of wearing climb. Now, you might say, well, you're going to sit on that saddle. Now, what's interesting, though, is that if you, this is a brysa. This brysa is obviously connected to this Mishnah and Klayim. Masachtas Klayim, the last parak, deals not with Klayim that grow out of the ground um, in terms of, 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 of grape material, vines and wheat, but the Klayim of, of, of wool and linen mixing to get together. Uh, and that's the last parak in Klayim. So if you take a look in the last parak of Klayim, it says, and I'm reading to you, Mishnah Gim on Mishnah Dalit. Um, well, actually, let's start with Mishnah Bays already. If you have something that you don't wear, but it's a pillow, that material is made out of wool and linen. You sit on it, but you don't necessarily wear it. It's not really climb. But you can't sit on it bare with your bare body. Because then what we're worried about is, is that some of that will now wrap itself on your skin. So in other words, basically, you could have a pillow that's climb that you, right? No, no, right? But what we don't want it to be is that it could somehow wrap itself around your bare body. Then the Mishnah says, there's no such din as, oh, well, I'm only doing it for a minute. No, no, there's no five second rule. Climb is climb. Even though you have 10 other pieces of clothing that aren't climb, and this uh, this tenth one is you can't say well it didn't really benefit me. That could be that's only derabona. Then it says a few Even if your reason for wearing klayim is because the taxing they only tax you for goods that you sell, but not goods that are on your body. And you figure okay, let me just wear a bunch of these clothes. And they won't tax me for it, so I don't really want to get benefit from it. Still, it's also because you're wearing it even though your purpose for wearing it is in order not to pay money. Matpachas hayadayim. Let's say um, hand towels are matpachas hasfarim, or what you hold a sifri kodesh with. Matpachas hasfag, ein bemishum klaim, or, 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 or what you hold on like a sponge. Those aren't klaim because even though your hands are on them, but you, you don't wrap them around your hands or, or to wear them. You just wipe your hands on them. Rabbi Lezer says you have to be worried. Now, matpachas hasafarim, what barbers put on you, a barber, uh, uh, even though it's only going on there to stop the hair, but it's basically a piece of client. It's basically like a begot. The next Mishnah says, tachrichei hames. When it comes to shrouds, 
Umardat shol chamor ain't by mishum klayim. That's not called klayim. Okay, we're going to get to the shrouds in a minute. That's one our main topic. But here we see that the Mishnah talked about a number of things which aren't klayim and which are. A, sa- a saddle is not klayim. Now, the the, re- the Tveris Yisrael says the reason is based on many other mefarshim. Not his own, but I, you can see here what's from why. Because the saddle, he says, zatel v'hukasha. Because it's tough; it's not like a soft material, so it's so hard that, we, right? But he says you have to be sitting with clothes on, not bare butt on the on the saddle. And he says the Mishnah didn't have to tell you that because people usually don't sit naked on a donkey. When it comes to pillows, they might decide uh, to sit without any clothes on. Now, so what is the reason, according to the Tveris Yisrael, that you can have a saddle? Because basically the saddle is tough. It doesn't really have anything similar to warming your body. It's like a tough, it's made, a, it's made in a tough way. And you don't feel it as something that's comfortable and as if you're enclosing yourself in it. And you usually, when you're sitting on a donkey, you usually have your pants on. So that's why you can make a saddle of the donkey out of client material. Look at Chiva. Or at least, we don't, we, at least it's not a problem. That if you make it out of this material, we don't say, hey, what are you doing with that? So now, if you, if you, if, if looking at this Mishnah, we now understand the Brisa. The Brisa says, but if it's something that you don't recognize where the Klayim is, if you know where the Klayim is, then you have it on the saddle, you know what it is, you're not going to sit there bare butt. Good. But if you don't know where it is, don't make it a Mardas L'chamor. You can see that this brisa is only understood in terms of the Mishnah. Okay. What would be the difference? Why is one okay and one is not okay? Well, the reason is, is because you don't know where it is. And therefore, your attitude toward it is, well, I don't know if that's really climb or not. Maybe I can restructure this and use it as a blanket. Something that you know is Clyde, you say that's for the donkey, and it stays on the donkey. Not going to go any further than the donkey. However, when you have the uh, yeah, the shotness and climb are basically the same thing, as far as this goes. But when it comes to um, when it comes to um, something you don't know. When you don't know, you say, oh, I don't know. You never know where it could get to. It'll stay on the donkey for a while. And then eventually you might decide to move it and change it and cut a piece of it off, make it part of your pants. Something that you know what it is, you can exit out. And mentally, we say it's all right. When it's something where, hey, I don't even know where the climb is in it. So we, you have to treat it more toxic. However, remember what we learned in that other Mishnah and Klayim. Even regular Klayim, you can make shrouds of. Even this Klayim, which is a Safek Klayim, 
where you're not sure where it is, and you're afraid people are going to play fast and loose with it, the non-Jew is going to sell it to a Jew who's not going to know. But when it comes to tachrichim, that you can do. In other words, even though it has the chumrah of not making a mardas out of it, but you can still, just like vada'i klayim, you can use it for shrouds, Ovad, Beged Shah, Ovad by Klayim, you could also use for shrouds. Unlike the saddle, where the saddle might be something you might find yourself cutting a piece off of it, because you don't exit out in your brain as being totally verboten. That's why you can't use it as a saddle. That's why you can't use it as a saddle. But when it comes to Tachrich and Vameis, you're never going to go to the shroud of the person and then say, oh, let's dig this up or let's take it off the person and use it for your own material. So tachrich and lemais is all right. It doesn't have the kula of regular klayim about mardas, but it has the same kula for tachrichim. You need to see the Mishnah to understand this brisa. The, the Gemara needed to not contrast the Mishnah, but to learn it properly, you need to learn it that way. Okay, now, based on that, Rabbi Yosef comes and said, so, so merit, this tells us, mitzvos betelos la'osid lovo. If you're saying that the mace is shrouded and shrouded, the corpse is enshrouded with klayim, that his that his tachrichim are wool and linen mixed materials, and that's telling you that mitzvos won't be relevant in the future. lovo to the time that's coming. So, what does that mean? It sounds like that the person is going to come back to life wearing the crowds that he was buried in. And you're going to, those moments he's going to be wearing them, he's going to be wearing Klayim. How could you place it on that person when he's going to come back to life in those shrouds? Now, obviously, this is somewhat of a, a miraculous assumption. And the Gemara Ksuvis does say that Osir Hamesim Lachyos, right? That they're going to come back to life in the Levushim that they were buried in. There's actually two opinions in, that's uh, 20 years old, 50 years old, 100 years old. You know that the shrouds have probably um, disintegrated, right? Probably. Um, so <laughs> this is interesting because Rabbi Yosef is assuming that whatever that disintegration is, what they come back in is essentially the same material. Doesn't mean God as in the miracle of Trias HaMesim recreates that material that you were buried in? Uh, Rabbi Kivalevich? Yes. If you bury them in the shroud that's Klayim, that means that the mitzvah, the Avera of wearing shatnes, seems to be non-functional in the future. That's what Rabbi Yosef says. Zoso merit, this tells you that the mitzvot, 
And what mitzvah is he referring to? Not the positive mitzvah, but the negative mitzvah of not wearing, letting, letting shatnis be on your body. Because the assumption seems to be that, that he will come back to life. And when he comes back to life, he'll be wearing klayim. So it must be that L'osid Lovo, mitzvos, maybe not all of them, but some seem to be canceled. And this would appear to corroborate what we learned last week in Rabbeinu Bachia when he talked about this future time, and he wasn't even referring to Tchiyaz HaMesim, a future time where the mitzvah of Vassar Becholov wasn't relevant, as he said. Now, that was Rabbi Yosef's statement. Rabbi Yosef's prime student, Abaya, Amrle Abaya, some say it wasn't Abaya, but it was Ravdimi who said it. That so it was either his prime student or Ravdimi who uh, said, he says, wait, Omar Ravmani, Omar Ravyanai. Now, Ravyanai was, a, was, was a, 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 a very early Amora. He was a teacher of Rabbi Yochanan. Ravyanai said, Loishanu. Now he could be this Loshanu could be on the Mishnah and Klayim that we saw, right? Because the Mishnah and Klayim also allowed for the shrouds to be, uh, for the mace to be enshrouded in shatnas. So Loshanu, what did we mean? Rabbi Anai said, what did the Mishnah mean when it said that the mace can be enshrouded? Elulisofto. Only where he is enshrouded. When his body is taken, let's say, to the Beis Aknesses or to the Rehov of the city, and people come out to eulogize him before the burial. And therefore, he is not in a casket. He's in a bed, a bier, and people see, although they don't see his face, they see his form enshrouded in the nice clothing. So Lesapto, while they're eulogizing him, his body has not yet been buried. It could have Klyam on it. Avalakovro, Ravyanai said, when you actually take him and bury him into the ground, then you would have to switch Begodim to something else. You wouldn't be able to have him wear the Klyam bigot. Lakovro Osir. So it could be that it's some sort of nice looking Tachrichim. Uh, the Tachrichim are nice looking but they happen to be made of shatnas. So the Mishnah, when it said that you could use the tachrichim, was only for the mace, and they become connected to the mace, but they have to be stripped off of him before he gets put into the ground. Well, so listen, what, uh, Rabbi Kivalevich, the Mishnah and the Bright that both said that mm-hmm. you can put the klayim on the corpse. The corpse can be enshrouded in the klayim, and that's mm-hmm. called his tachrichim. Now, the what Ravyanai seems to be worried about is Ravyanai's belief in the resurrection and the miracle, the miraculous aspect of the resurrection of those clothing actually somehow recreating themselves. And we don't want that person to be in a situation, it would seem, to where he's right, where he's going to be wearing those as he is brought back to life. Right, so therefore, we were worried about that, and and in some way, Bob, 
it might be embarrassing, like, as you say, like, oh, let's strip him and put some other clothes on him to put him in the ground. But it's actually because of our belief in the eternality of his soul that he's going to come back to life. And as when he comes back to life, he's going to have to be in normal non-tachrichim clothing. But so, then, but, it, it, but then, okay. Then your question. It, then your question is why put the why put the stuff on him in the first place? Is your question exactly right? It, so the answer is that there was a glorious moment. Although we don't do it this way, is when people see him in the tachrichim in the street. Somehow these tachrichim are finery. It's a it's like a great looking tachrichim. <laughs> It's totally different from the whole, I, all the philosophy I've ever learned. I mean, it's to make it as is to make it as simple and and and, exactly. and modern as possible. Yes, you're not <laughs> supposed to do uh, the you know fancy fancy coffins. Right. So, right. so that might have been a later Bob. That might have actually occurred. And again, Rav Gamliel tried to push that, but it might not have this that the way it is now that the, the Rockefeller. Or 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 Reichman and the poorest Jew get exactly the same exactly cheap shrouds. That might not have been the case at the time of this Mishnah and Brisa, and there might have been something where the person wants. He might have even prepared these shrouds, and therefore we were. It, it sounds very Catholic, right? It sounds like we want him. We want him to look good during the wake, right? We want him to look good. <laughs> Right, but that's that's what we're saying. Rav Yane was saying l'softai, right? During avulakovro oser. So, so you could right now. So that was the that was what Abaya challenged Rav Yosef with that. In other words, which indicated that the mitzvah is not bought the loss in love, right? That the mitzvah that there will still be mitzvahs in the future. So Omar Lei, Rav Yosef said, "Lavi itmer Wait, there was a discussion about it. Ravyana is not the final word. Itmar, there was a talk about this discussion about shrouding the, the corpse with, with Klayim. And Um Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Yochanan, the erstwhile student of Yanai, said no, Afiwa Lakovro, even to bury him, which is the simple interpretation. Aha, uh-huh. so now the Mar says, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Because Rabbi Yochanan the time, because Rabbi Yochanan in the Pasik in Tehillim Peiches, the Pasik refers to when David Amalek is talking about how you know that, that he feels like he's dead, and, and it's like uh, right, and he talks about like like his pain and suffering, and, and like he feels he has no life. So David Amalek said the words b'meisim chavshi, that it's almost like I'm I'm dead and free. So kivin shemeis adam. When a person is, uh, a person has died, it's as if he is free from mitzvos. He's free. So the death state, even though it's going to be followed, it would seem by a, by a resurrection, but somehow the state of death brings chofesh. And therefore, you're chavshim in a mitzvot. And therefore, you could bury him. Seemingly, this impression seems to be that when he comes back to life, he won't have that mitzvah. Or it won't be a problem that he's wearing klayim. And therefore, since he, Bob, there was an idea of honoring the person with these 
types of, of clothing, you can even bury them in it. And maybe like you're saying, it's even more respectful because we don't have to handle the body again and strip it and put the, put the, put the, uh, the burial shrouds on him. Like, the Hespid shrouds are the burial shrouds. Okay. So um, this, okay. Um, the Gemara goes on to say that we don't need to be so drastic with this beged that we can't find a climb in it. According to the Brisa, it's like, what are you going to do with this? You can't wear it because it's a suffix daraisa. You don't know where the klayim is. You can't sell it to a guy because the guy might sell it back to a Jew. You can't make it as part of a saddle or something else because who knows, your, your attitude is, I'll take a strip of it, and that strip that you take might be the klayim. So Raf Raf from Bar Papa said, in the name of Rav Chista, despite the Bryce is saying the only thing we can do with this is basically um, use it for shrouds, but there's a way to discover. What's that? There's a way, because you can't, you know there was climb in there, but you don't know where it is now. You can't detect it. There's a way to determine that it's maybe the reason you can't detect it is not because there's something wrong with your ability to perceive. It's because it's not there. What does that mean? Sovo, you know what you should do? Diet. Not D-I-E-T, but D-Y-E-I-T, right? Diet. And what's going to happen? And you'll see it'll be mutter. So Rava <laughs> was said to Raphim Bar Papa, Minove was Sabaha. Now, I'm not sure who Saba is. I mean, it's interesting, you know, he's calling him, you know, grandpa. Because Rav Papa himself was was actually a um, contemporary of 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 Rav and Abaya, younger than them. So I'm not sure if Rav from Bar Papa is maybe not a son of the famous Rav Papa, or it might be something that Rav feels that Rav feels that he might have gotten this from some old tradition. Did your grandfather know about this? Like, what are you telling me? Amarleh, he says, there's a Mishnah. That if let's say you have two big piles and you knew that Tuma was in one of these piles and now it's a suffix where you can walk, can Kohanim go there? What are you supposed to do? So what you what you do is you dig into one of the piles, and if if you dug into that pile, even though the assumption was that this was the one that had the tuma in it, you're not sure where it is, but if you dig dig to the ground, and you get to you hit rock, and and you don't discover the tuma, amar orev natva. You assume that even though you had information months ago that there was a piece of dead flesh in here it's not here anymore you can't find it it must have been taken by the raven hokinami we know that this was wool and linen that were mixed together if it's wool and linen that's mixed together amravikisna bahadodi if it's wool and flax wool and linen together losavakluhut sivaa Dye does not evenly take into that material 
and 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 and, and, and smooth, be smooth there. And therefore, since you put it, you dyed it, and it looks exactly the same everywhere. There isn't any spot where it seems the dye hasn't taken. The dye has taken equally in the complete amount of this beged. And Kivan, the low idea, since you, know, you weren't sure where the piece was anyway, maybe mintarnotar, it fell out. So therefore, this is an Eitzah, according to uh, Rav Chista. And this way, you could just wear it. You do this scientific experiment because you know that if it is a place where wool and linen were mixed properly, you would be able to tell in the way the, the, the item was dyed. You would see a, one spot would be not as the dye would not be as would not take to that material the way it did before, because that would be the spot where the linen was. The wool the dye sinks in. But if it's sunk in equally throughout the beged, it must be that, you know, look, you, you, didn't, you, you, weren't, you didn't know where it was. It must be that it fell out and wherever that spot was has somehow, it's not there anymore. That's, you have the right to assume that. Okay. Um, Tosva says, why did Rabbi Yosef wait for this Bryce and Nida to make his point? Why did he make that point? Am I? Let's see here. Am I Lokama, Rabbi Yosef, Mil Samasnis and the Klayim? Rabbi Yosef could have looked at the Mishnah and Klayim and said the same thing. The Tanan Behedya, Tachrikhan Lameis, Ein Behen Mishum Klayim. You don't need this brysa, which makes things complicated. The brysa is talking about where you don't know where the klyam is. The Mishnah there said, you know it's klyam. The only thing you have to earmark it for is for shrouds. So he says, It says there, Ein behem just means it's sitting on his body. So if he's dead in the ground, hasn't happened. We don't say, oh, you benefited from Klayim because your relative had the shrouds on him. That's what I might say the Mishnah means. We don't want you putting it on the donkey because it might get back to you. The human you're going to leave, you're not going to try to go and cut some of those pieces. And ein bemishum klayim just means you don't have to worry about the Easter climb because he, he's dead. And even though you're, you as the relative are happy about that, but there's, that's not called an Easter climb, even midrabanan at all. But our Bryces said, oh, what does our Bryces say? Our Bryces uses a more proactive language. Our Bryces says that that osinlo sounds like, yeah, earmark it for it. Go and do it. That sounds like So here you see, Dr. Kogan, I was saying, even though when you when you when he will rise from the dead, he'll be rising ma magically, amazingly, with those same clothes. 
That's where you see mitzvahs are b'teilah From the Mishnah, you couldn't prove it. From the Gemara, you could. Now, the now, I, I want to show you the um, there's a Rashba here that is a short piece that is really part of some major work that the Rashba did in on this uh, subject. Um, I'll read a little bit of the Rashba here, but then I'm going to show you uh, the Rashba in uh, another source, a lengthier source. So, the Rashba. Zosameris mitzvahs b'teosos and lovo, like we saw in Tosos. Yesh mefarshim mishum damrinim b'ksuvos, meisim sh'osel ha-kodesh baruchol l'hachyos v'levusheyen hein omdim. So, um, the Koshali, he says, you say that they don't have to do mitzvos? The meisim sh'echu yecheskel yochichu. We know Yechezkel brought people back to life. Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones, right? Yechezkel brought them to life and said, this is the way the Jewish people are going to come back to life. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin that one of the Amorayims said, Abba Mehen. My dad was one of those people brought back to life. The Elu Tfilin Shaniachli Abba Mehem are you. And he came back to life and fathered me, and he gave me his tefillin. So you see that people who come back to life, it's not like mesim chavshi that somehow when you die, you somehow that's it. When you when you mat, when you come back to life, mitzvahs aren't relevant to you. That that person who came back to life from Yechezkel's time did mitzvahs and passed on the tefillin to his son. So you see, and we now, know it doesn't mean that he didn't use the tefillin. That's why he could give it to his son. <laughs> could be that's the shot. Could be that's the shot. Um, I would assume that when he got up, it's not like he came home and he found this tefillin again. I mean, he was probably dead for a long time. But why would he go and buy tefillin? Yeah, I, I guess his father was that old-fashioned. <laughs> but again, the Rashba's point is it seems like these individuals who were reduced to bones and then God amazingly put flesh on their bones and brought them back to life, they then became like regular human, regular Jews and did all the mitzvahs. So the assumption is probably in the future when that will occur, it'll be the same thing, the Rashba assumes. Um, now, let me show you the Rashba in a different context. The, um, the Rashba, student of Rabbeinu Yonah, was a disputant with, against Christianity, just like his other Rebbe, the Ramban. Um, and he talks about this uh, dispute that he has, um, scholars have determined, based on the following paragraph, that the Dominican priest Raymond Martin was the disputant that the Rashba was 
uh, involved with. And he says, based on the, the, this, uh, and many of these people were apostates who were familiar with passages in the Talmud. And we are seeing this in terms of this eschatological ramifications of seeing the future with mitzvahs like Basar Bacholov canceled or tefillin or, 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 um, or not having to wear, uh, that there's no Easter of wearing shotness. Clearly, any assumption that mitzvahs will change in the future strengthens the argument of Christianity that once the messianic era has arrived, the mitzvahs might have been from God, but are no longer binding. And once it's a slippery slope, if you admit somewhere that some mitzvahs are canceled or irrelevant, then it opens the door to Christianity. And that's the reason why the apostates and other Christian uh, disputants leaped on these Gemarot. One of them is the Gemara in, uh, in, in Brachot, a Brisa, that says, we know there's a, we talk about this on the night of the Seder, whether one should, has to mention Yitzias Mitzrayim at night. So we know that the Chachamim have a Pasuk that shows you um, that uh, the, the Benzoma quoted the Chachamim a Pasuk. Kol Yemei Chayecha. Right? Halelos. And the Chachamim respond, no. Yemei Chayecha Hayamim. Then Yemos HaMashiach will also have a mitzvah of telling the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's the Mishnah that we quote on the night of the Seder. About six weeks from now. Ben Zoma in the Brisa responds and says, wait. We know from the Psukim and the Nevi'im that we aren't going to mention Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim in the future. We won't have that mitzvah anymore. That, that's the simple reading of the Gemara. So he says, if that's true, that we don't have the mitzvah of mentioning Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, that we don't have to tell the story, Raymond Martin said, and the Rashba read or saw. The who? Think about it. The Pasuk in Sefer Dvarim, what does it say? It says, For seven days, eat a lot of matzah. Why? Because all of that will make it vivid to you to speak about, to talk about that day you left Mitzrayim. So you see, said the Christian, they're all tied into the Zichron Yitzhak Mitzrayim. God said it's all a package deal. Do this whole Pesach behavior with all its strictures and difficulties in order that you should really 
feel and be able to talk about Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So you see the command of Pesach and Chometz and eating matzah is that you should remember Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. So the, so the reverse must be true. The converse, and let's say if Ben Zom is right, that Yimosa Mashiach, you won't talk about Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, so there won't be any reason to do this whole mitzvah if, if you're not going to actually uh, download and understand and re-experience Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Because the whole reason why we were commanded on them was in order for us to relive it. That was one question that you asked. Rabbi Kivalevich? Yes, was a chok that, that would last forever. But this was their, this was their first salvo. The second one was the Gemara that I just learned with you. The Gemara in Nida that says, But you and he quotes Rav Yosef. And even though he says there is Ravami and Ravyamai, you see that we hold like Rav Yochanan and Rav Yosef. Now, the Rashba says, these Christians who learned this Gemara, and we know it's Tosfus as well, that the word means it means after the man comes back to life. is that future time. It has to be that you don't really have to do mitzvos once you come back to life. Because if you would, if you would have to do mitzvahs, then it would be also to bury a person in the Begad, Shiyesh Boklayim. Because we know that they're going to come back in their same clothes. Rabbi Kivalevich, I, yes. I, I, I'm bothered by one uh, discussion. And, and the question is the, 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 the provenance of that medrash that is quoted about the Chazir. That it's called a chazer because it's going to be choser back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a uh, like a maverick medrash that most of Chazal don't hold of? The Archaim Hakadosh quotes it and explains it in terms of the fact that um, that the pasuk indicates that the chazer might only be for now because. It says Gerolo Yogur, right? That even though he has the hoofed, the, the, the pig has hoofed claw, hoofed uh, hooves that are almost the perfect hooves that you want on a kosher animal, we know it doesn't it doesn't ruminate in the in the proper way. It doesn't chew its cud, it doesn't have those stomachs, or it doesn't it doesn't doesn't re bring back, but in the future it would seem that it will. I don't know if it's going to grow another stomach or how things are going to work and it's in the way it, 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 it masticates and chews and brings back up. But that's the way the Arachayim explains that Medrash Plia, as if the Torah itself sort of indicates Geira lo yogur now, but in the future it might. So it was, and, and once we see all the pigs are doing that, you can almost see from the Torah itself, Bob, that pigs are okay. Right. Whereas here, where do we ever see that Klyim somehow doesn't count anymore? Right. Where do we see that Klyim somehow becomes eliminated? That sounds like, hmm. Now, you're right, Bob. It's not a full scale 
uh, erasing of the blackboard, but where do you stop? Right? Look at Rabbi Yosef's statement, Bob. Mitzvos, Bateos Losad Lovo. He doesn't say Klayim is Batalosad Lovo, right? Zosomeris Mitzvot. So it sounds like Klayim, and who knows? There might be a whole bunch of them. Rabbi Kivalevich, I'd like to, I'm sorry, I'd like to bring one more piece. Remember, Losad Lovo, God is going to say, why didn't you accept the Torah? And the, the non Jews say, all right, give it to us now. We'll do the Torah now. And God says to them, you idiots, this is not the period of doing Torah. You, the, the period of doing mitzvahs is before this time. But you know what? I've got another mitzvah for you to do. It's called sukkah. Go and do that. So the Gemara asks on that, wait, how could God give them a test of sukkah? Doesn't it say in the Pasik, Asher Anochi Mitzavcha Hayom, Vasotam? What does the Pasik say? The Pasik says that we read that the mitzvahs are done for you today, given to command today to do them. Hayom Lasosam, Lamochar Lasosam, meaning the time to do mitzvahs is in the present time, not in the future when. The reckoning is occurring. And, that, and anyway, the Gemara says that it was basically just a way to indicate to them that they really weren't connected to the mitzvahs at all. But the Gemara's question, based on Yeshua ben Levi's drash of the Pesach, seems to indicate that there is a time in the future where we don't do mitzvahs. And when is that? And that would seem to be in some future time after the Mashiach or after the Tria. So those are the three Gemarot. Benzoma, Rav Yosef, and Yeshua ben Levi. So first the Rashba takes apart the mitzvahs of Pesach. And he, he does a, a number on them. I would like to zero in, since we are starting with the Gemara Nida, I'm going to take it a little bit out of order. Now, the, about the Gemara Nida. Da. Ki hazot, this term, la'osid lavo, doesn't mean what you think it means. Mitzvos betelos la'osid lavo does not mean in some hoary way future. That's not what it means. Now, this, to me, when I hear it, sounds like a big dochik, right? Well, Lavo doesn't mean the, the far distant future. That's not what it means. No. He says, it can mean any time. Rochok Okorov. It could even be very close to your time. And he quotes another Gemara to show that to be true. The Gemara in Erevin says that we want when armies go out to save a city, we say that they can return with their weaponry. Because if you make them drop their weaponry, then you're machsho them la'osid lovo, it says. Now, la'osid lovo doesn't mean you're machsho them in the time of the Mashiach. It means the next time this happens, they will not go out to save people. So you see the word la'osid lavo can be used by Chazal as some future time. 
the Gemara says similarly that you're allowed on Yom Kippur to go up through a, a lake in order to go see your Rebbe on Yom Kippur, to go visit him, to spend time and learn Torah from him on Yom Kippur, and then to go back. You don't have to spend the end of Yom Kippur at your Rebbe's shul. You can go back to where you bought tickets in order to do Mincha Ne'ila in your shul. And even though you're going to go back through the lake again, even though there's a place to daven with your Rebbe. And the reason is, because if we don't let you go, next Yom Kippur, you won't go visit your Rebbe. And the Gemara uses a similar term. The Gemara says, we don't want to be machshel them, la'asid lavo. Aha. So you see that it could be, and therefore the Rashba is clear, that the la'asid lavo that's meant here, it means right after you die. Okay, it doesn't mean the future when Mashiach, when Tchiyas HaMesim, some future, astrological future. That's not what it means. It means right after you die, there's no mitzvahs. Now, what does that mean, though? It means HaMesim, Ba'odem Mesim, Pturim and HaMitzvahs. And that's why Yochanan's Pasik is about when you're dead. It doesn't mean once you're dead and you pass through death, you never have mitzvahs binding you. It means towards the dead, there's no sense of doing mitzvahs for them. Now, the Rashford said, well, what does that mean? Vim Tomar, Bodenu Mace. So if he's dead, why would Rav Ami say, oh, no, 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 there is mitzvahs for the dead person? <laughs> How could there be mitzvahs for the dead person? So you have to understand the Rashba says, that Rav Ami believes that when a person has died, he's like a child. In other words, there is, in a way, a, 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 a life presence that hovers and is connected even to a person who seems to be dead in front of us and is being eulogized and is going to be buried soon. In a way, there is a respect that we understand because it housed the soul of a living being. But in a way, it still, it still has, a, a, if not an actual sentence like a human being, but it, it's still considered part of a living world. It's not just organic material to be considered fertilizer in the ground. The mace is like a tinoch. We know when you have a child who doesn't have to do mitzvos, and if Bezdin see him doing Averot, they don't have to stop him from eating the pork sandwich, as the Gemara says, in Yivomos. But we cannot feed them we cannot feed them that pork sandwich, vikavona. The Torah doesn't allow us to do that. So, so even though on one level, they aren't considered balei avera, but we have to see them as part and parcel of our humanity. Well, of course, there they are, because they will become complete humans that are chayav and mitzvos totally. But they clearly, 
there's no problem. Benson can see the guy stuffing himself and they don't have to say a word to him. The father has a special mitzvah, but others do not. Still, there's a special law that you can't put treif into their system. So the same thing you would say that according to uh, according to Rav Ami, you can't put Klayim on a mace. Because while he's dead, you have to treat him as if like a child. That's what Rav Ami holds. That's why he says in Rav Yanai that, that a mace is, you can't put Klayim on the mace. Now, um, then why can you then why can he wear it while you're doing the eulogy? So he says during the eulogy is different because we know what is Klaim about? Klaim is about Levisha, Los Silva Shatnes. Right? Levisha is what we're talking about. It isn't just that it's on you, you're wearing it. You're wearing it. That's that is what we're talking about. You're wearing it. It's a protection for you. It's 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 something you're lovish. Um. So, when you put it on the body to sort of just give it a fine appearance at the eulogy, that's not wearing it. That's sort of like displaying it for the moment. That's similar to the idea that you're allowed to wear klayim to sell to non-Jews, and you can be a you could be a living mannequin if you'd want to. And that's not considered wearing klayim because they're not they're just there to to drape the form to give an idea to the person buying them. And even though you're the Jew wearing them, you're allowed to do that. Similarly, Ravami says that you're allowed, since this moment of the hespit is, like we said, it's not the way we do hespitim, but the body is shown in its finery, and therefore it isn't about it being a protective clothing for the mace. It's there to show off in some way the mace, but that's not called levisha. And therefore, to bury it, that would be awesome. Whereas, whereas, what is, what is, um, uh, right, to bury it would be awesome because that's like Los Achille. But according to Rav, according to Rav Yosef, no, the mitzvah is botel. What does it mean it's botel? It's botel on the mace, meaning while he's dead, there's nothing wrong with him. You have, we don't have to treat the dead body as if it's part of our living world. And therefore, as a dead person, there's no problem putting Klayim on the person. Where it's not, it's not like the child that you can't feed Treif. According to Ravami, you can't, you can't put the clothing on the mace like you can't feed the child the ham sandwich. Um, but part of this, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Kevilevich, part of this is hard for me to follow because um, the, the Gemara, the talk. And you have a business 
of selling shotnes to Goyim. That's your business. So you have a right to be the mannequin for that because you're trying to make money. You're not wearing it to be lovish it, right? So that difference between a mannequin and being lovish it, for example, like when you want to wear it, when you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to cheat the, uh, the, the, the taxes there, we can see the rabbis say, hey, that's pretty close to Levisha. You're just putting it on as a lovish to get out of paying the unfair tax. There, there's a problem that you're doing Levisha, essentially. The mm-hmm. Rosh... The, no, aren't you aren't you made a little little uncomfortable? Bring them back in their clothing. So it, he says, the one who says that maybe he holds like Rav Ami that you bury them in a different type of clothing. Rav Yosef that says you can bury them in that clothing. Well, who says they say that they are going that that clothing will magically recreate itself when they stand up? Then he says, even according to the opinion that they come back in their own clothing, it doesn't mean that it's the exact same clothing. He says, That's one of these begodim that you can't, it's like a suffix, we don't know where the shotness is. That that same lost piece of wool and linen will re- be recreated again in the clothing that he stands up with in Trias HaMesim, what it means is, is that they will be with clothes on. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the same clothing, that even the one that was, that was, that was faulty, that had Klyam lost in it, will it'll be the exact same thing with the same lost Klyam back in it. The Gemara uses uh, says we're like pieces of wheat. We know a, a kernel of wheat is put into the ground and it comes back with a, with with a stalk and enclosed. So of course, uh, a tzaddik who is buried in his clothing for sure he'll come back enclosed. But it doesn't necessarily mean the exact same piece of clothing is recreated. Um, now, you could say what it means is, is that it's, it, it approximates the way they were buried. So this way, they know who the, their, their relatives will know who they are. And at least they'll be able to use the clothing to sort of like, like it's going to be a very confusing time. And the clothing, and let's say there's a relative who's still alive. Oh, that, that's Gramps. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the clothing. I remember that that's, looks like the clothing we bury them in. Um, but he says, basically, it's an agadita, he says. He says that you can't use the agadita about, the, about this to right. So what is really the debate between Rabbi Yosef and Ravami? The b- debate is when a dead person, a corpse, is lying there, do we have to treat it with a sense of life to the point that you cannot put the begotim on it? Do we say that mitzvahs don't really count there, or do we say they do? Now, and therefore, it has no connection to the Mashiach. It has no connection to Trias HaMesim, really. And as, he, as, as we saw him quote in Nida as well, from the Gemara about the Mason that came back at the time of Yechezkel.
Um, so that, but what, what's clear though to everyone is that the Rashba is, is, is learning a forced interpretation in the Gemara. And it's clearly at odds with Tosfos. Tosfos says clearly it's after they come back to life. And Tosfos says, according to Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yochanan, you would not have to, well, seemingly, you could be wearing shadnets. And it sounds like mitzvahs are betelos, well, said lovo, according to Tosfos, according to the Rashba, who is involved with his Christian disputant, he learns the Gemara differently and Lassad Lovo differently. I do want to end tonight uh, quoting to you the, um, the great Maritzchius. I have to tell you that um, I dedicated this year to my father, and I could say a lot about my father. And, I, and obviously, you know, we talk about Trias Hamesim and, and a, the two volume set of the Maritzchius, which was about. Both volumes together are about 2,000 pages or so. It was a two-volume edition. And I remember my father spending about three weeks, maybe a little bit less, and reading through the complete two volumes of all the Kisvei Maritzchius on, uh, on, on three or four Shabbosim. Um, and that's really a testament to his intensity his love of learning that he modeled for me and that I saw what Shabbos meant and what it meant to, to love learning. Um, I, I love I, I in a way that I could, uh, I can perhaps emulate, you know, that sort of love that he showed even while he was, you know, very, very busy uh, during the week involved in sometimes very, very serious backbreaking work. But the simcha that he had of learning was great. And the Martzchias especially, he wasn't so familiar with them until I brought him his farim. And he said to me, boy, he said, you know, he didn't say boy. He said, the, the amount that this person knew, the amount of sources that he quotes, the type of things that he knew, he was so, so uh, uh, impressed by it. So I want to show you a, a little bit of the Martzchias. Although my father was a, a lover really of of almost all this farm. But here's the Martzchius. So he says, um, And Bob, this has a relevance to what you're saying. Really, there's a lot of discussion and they, a lot of Maimorim um, that are contradictory to each other. There's a Medrash that says all the Yomim Tovim are going to be bottled except Purim, which we might talk about next week. Um, and then the Gemara then says that they're going to Shecht, the Liviyosan is going to be, the, the Shura Bar is going to be Shechted by the Liviyosan. The Gemara says, well, how can that happen? You, you're not allowed to use uh, a handsaw. The Gemara says, Torah there's going to be a new Torah about how to do Shechita. There's a medrash in Parshat Tzav that says the korbonos will be bottle. Rav Kook uh, dealt with that medrash as well. Um, so he says, you see that one thing is definitely true, that the Torah and the Lachos are not bottle. 
Now, so what does it mean that these statements that they won't, they, that these events will occur? So he says the great Yefei Mara, uh, his, in the parish of the Medrash, of Mordechai Yafa, changes that will happen in the future, it'll be Hayrosho, meaning there will be unusual one-time changes in the Torah that will happen during the Messianic period, but it will not become entrenched that way. And that's the reason why the book of Yechezkel, um, when it talks about all those differences in the end of Yechezkel, those will be temporary differences, but will be changed. Um, now, that's a little bit of a dochek, but he says, in, because we know, how is it possible to say that things from the Torah will be canceled, chas Like the Robag says, the Torah has to be eternal. The answer is, it's Ayrosha. Then he quotes the Rashba. The Rashba says, well, Asid Lobo doesn't mean, it means just when, when you die. That's what it means. That it means, it doesn't mean, it means after the person dies, there's no mitzvah to deal with, to actually worry about the clothing that's on him. But of course, the Rashba says, in the world to come, of course, and this is what Dr. Kogan was saying, Okay, I didn't see that in the Rashba, but the Martzkias quotes it from, from the Rashba as well. So, then he says, what about Tosfos, who disagrees? Tosfos says it's after the Tchiyah. The Martzkias says. Meaning, the mo- what Rabbi Yosef meant was, the moment they stand up, and this was what you were saying, Dr. Kogan, the moment they stand up, they're going to be in Shatnes. Okay, which shows you that the moment of Trias Amesim is like the moment of Yecheskel's Beis Amikdosh. There's something special, symbolic, and maybe, you know, again, without coming on, obviously Tosus disagrees with the Rashba. Tosus says that they're going to come back in the same clothing and they're going to be wearing shotness. Whatever the significance of that moment of Trias Amesim is, it's the only for that moment. It doesn't mean that they now live and in this future period, mitzvahs are not relevant. It means that moment of Tchia, the Maritzchia says, the same way the, the, the Beis HaMikdosh of Yechezkel is for that moment. The same way the Leviyoson is, is a Hirosho that it can shech the Shorabar with a non-kosher shkita for that time. There will be strange things that will seem to be aberrant, that will seem to go against what we know. So mitzvos betelos, los lovo, doesn't mean forever. <laughs> it means that there will be occurrences that for a limited time will be different than the way we have them now. But then everything will default back to like the Raubag was championing last week. Of course, pshita the achsru isuro. That is the Maritzchius' way of sort of uh, aligning the two opinions of Tosfus and the Rashba. So the Rashba didn't even want to open the door to that at all, of course, because the Rashba didn't want to give a sense 
that there was any real alteration. The problem is, is that the Rashba quotes three Gemaras. And as Bob points out, there's a Medrash about a Chazir. The Martzchias quotes four or five other Midrashim. So again, if the disputant would do his homework, he would probably be able to find other sources. There, the Maritzchias, my father, one of my father's favorite Mechabrim, is saying, look, the, 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 the area of, of disagreement between them is smaller. It's true, the Rashba doesn't want to allow any, uh, uh, any water to leak out of the dike. <laughs> However, what you might have to say, considering the preponderance of the evidence, now, I can't, this doesn't explain Chazer. I think that we need the Rachayim. But I think what he says is, is that it will be for some symbolic moment. And then everything will go back to the Nitzchias of Torah. But it isn't that somehow the Torah crumbles at that time. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.